That's, that's a lot of talk about Coke and Pepsi. I have a feeling you went beyond that. But what, what are the results here? How many were uh, Coke? Okay. <laughs> and one enthusiastic one. How many for Pepsi? So, you know, same. it's about 50-50 here. That's uh, interesting. We're a Pepsi town, I guess, with a big distributor here and all. But, but you know, if you, if you follow the, uh, the news, Coke is the best-selling soft drink in America. And recently it became not only the number one best-selling, but the number two best-selling. Did you see that? So the regular Coke uh, is, is number one, but then Diet Coke is actually number two above Pepsi right now. So uh, an interesting thing, uh, Coke has always done well with their advertising. They advertise so well, and they've always had slogans, and, and at certain times, memorable slogans. Not all of them have been big hits, but some of them have been pretty mis- uh, uh, memorable. You know, if, if you go back to my, uh, my age time frame, uh, Coke is the real thing. You know, that was kind of 1969. Coke's the real thing. Uh, 1976, Coke adds life. Oh, that wasn't quite as, as catchy. Didn't catch on as much. 1982, Coke is it. And it was big, you know. And so that was a, that was a big one. That stuck around for a while. Can't beat the feeling, 1989. Not too bad there. Uh, 1993, always Coca-Cola. Not so good, but evidently it still sold a lot of Cokes. 2009, did you catch their slogan from 2009? Open happiness. How about 2010? Twist the cap to refreshment. Not so good. 2011, I'm just getting this from the internet, but supposedly the the slogan this year, uh, or last year rather, um, uh, life begins here with Coke. Mm, Don't know about that. Life begins here. But you know what? You go back, and, and from the very beginning... Coke has had those great slogans, and, and, and this is the one that stands out. My grandfather worked for Coke for a while, so maybe that's why I remember this one. The pause that refreshes, right? I mean, that just stayed in the American lingo for so long, and you still hear people saying that. Coke, the pause that refreshes. Just look at all these different variations of this. Here's the, you know, the after school, the late in the day, the 4 p.m. pause that refreshes. You go forward there, and you see, for, uh, you know, World War II, the pause that refreshes. If you're in the military, you keep going here. The pause that refreshes when you're, I guess, sitting in your garden there, whatever that is, it <laughs> refreshes you. You go a little further, the next one, and how? Uh, how about this one? This is great, isn't it? This is, this is in the beauty shop, okay? The pause that, ooh, for the pause that refreshes. Keep going here. What do we got next? Oh, down by the ocean, always the pause that refreshes. You keep going to the next one. You'll see, let's see, Santa Claus, of course, always takes the pause that refreshes. And then, of course, at home, that's the pause that refreshes. And really anywhere for the businessman, the uh, guy on his way to a ball game or whatever, it's the pause that refreshes. Interesting slogan. It's, it's amazing how long it, it's, uh, it's stuck around. Well, today we're going to be uh, focusing on a different kind of pause that refreshes. A pause that not only refreshes, it also uh, ends up being that God blesses when you take this spiritual pause that brings spiritual refreshment. It becomes the pause that God blesses. We're going to focus on that today to clarify some matters and answer some questions that uh, some of you have about this pause we're going to talk about today. It's, uh, it's for some of you, as we do this, will be a little bit of review uh, on what you already know. For some of you, I know for certain this is going to be uh, brand new. Uh, for all of us, it will remind us of the importance of this pause. And at the end of it all, I'm going to give you a, a word of encouragement and really a call out 
for our congregation to, to do some pausing in this way. This is the, the pause that we read of recently in our study of the Old Testament book of Ezra. And at the time we read it, we commented about, uh, about uh, the relationship of it to faith, but we really didn't uh, comment a lot on, on this pause in itself. And, uh, and so it raised some ideas and questions and thoughts in people's minds. And, and uh, so we want to get back to it today without going back into the whole story of Ezra just to cover this one topic for this one day. We read about it in Ezra chapter 8 where we read of the man Ezra leading a great expedition of men, women, and children from Babylon back to Jerusalem uh, in answer to a call from God to serve God in that place. And just as the expedition was about to begin, we read there in, in Ezra 8, Ezra recognized a problem that he had. It was a problem which he may have been overlooking somewhat, but which I believe, if you, if you read the, uh, the scripture, that he probably wasn't overlooking it. It was just in his, his busyness in preparing to depart. Uh, and because of the complexity of the problem, he just kept putting it off as to what he would do about it. You may remember that, that simply put, here's how it went. Ezra and company were about to set off. They had a huge uh, group, men, women, and children. They're ready to go. They're going to be traveling on foot. And Ezra, at this point, is faced with the fact that this journey ahead is not only going to be incredibly difficult. They're traveling 900 to 1,000 miles on foot over some very rough terrain. This is not only going to be incredibly difficult. It's also going to be extremely dangerous. The likelihood of them not only failing to make it all the way to Jerusalem because of breakdowns or, or problems, uh, you know, minor problems whatsoever was great. The possibility of being killed or captured as slaves was just as great. And so recognizing this and having put off uh, dealing with it for a while, but having no choice but now to face up to the reality of it, we see that Ezra, on the day before they're ready to move out, They've got, say, you know, a 5 a.m. departure time or whatever the next morning. We're going to be get, up, get up and be going. Ezra, at that point, he pushes the pause button. You know, like you have a pause button on your, your TV or stereo or whatever. Just hold everything right there. Ezra pushes the pause button on this journey. He, he pulls everyone up and, and they stop. And Ezra, uh, as he hits this pause button, he doesn't have in mind that he's... He's pushing the pause button of paralysis. You know what that is? So, you know, when you just go, oh, and it's just like, I have no idea what to do, and so I'm not going to do anything. He doesn't do that. And he also doesn't, doesn't push the, the, the pause button of, of, of packing it in. You know, like, okay, I got this far. Well, let's just quit because this is too hard. No, he doesn't do that. He pushes what we might call the active pause button. He actually pauses, but he's going to be active in this pause. Here's what it was. In the words of Ezra, recorded in chapter 8, uh, verse 21, Ezra himself, in writing his report of this, says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava. That was where they had all gathered. They've all come together. They've sorted themselves out. They've got their caravan, their wagon train, or whatever it is that they're going to use to get across. They're ready to go. They're waiting there at the river. They're about to launch. And then he says, No, we're not going yet. We're going to fast. We're going to fast. Now, some of you at this point may be thinking, hmm, fast, that's the pause we're talking about today. Fast, not for me. Maybe you're thinking, like, not for me. I like to eat, so not for me. Maybe you're just thinking, you know, that's kind of a spiritual thing I'm not real comfortable with. 
Or possibly, you know, you really say physically, my body won't tolerate much of a, of a fast. Well, stay tuned to this. Don't tune out. Don't tune out if you already know a little bit about fasting, because you, you may be surprised about some of the things you'll learn about it today. And if nothing else, remember, we said we need to step back on this, too, as we think about the questions that have been asked and say, well, how important is this for us in our day and age where we live at this time, this place, the things we face? Of course, fasting is uh, uh, abstaining from food. That's what the word means. And throughout history, people have fasted for a variety of reasons, including dietary reasons and health reasons and medical reasons and emotional reasons and political reasons and even romantic reasons. People have fasted. But in the Bible, the fasting we read of is most always for spiritual reasons. Spiritual reasons. And almost always in Scripture, fasting is linked with prayer. With prayer. That is, when you read a prayer in the Bible, it's not unusual to see fasting accompanying the prayer, the two being mentioned together. And when we read a fasting in Scripture, it's very unusual if, uh, if, if prayer is not mentioned as being connected to it. The two go together. And Ezra chapter 8 is a, is a good prime example of this, of how even when the specific word prayer is not uh, mentioned, you know that's what it's all about. Going back to Ezra 8.21, Ezra said, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of, of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey, you know, to seek from him, to pray to him for a safe journey for us, our little ones and all our possessions. If you go down to verse 23, he, uh, as he continues, he says, So we fasted and sought our God, that was we were praying, we sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. So there was prayer going on with that. One a key reason why fasting is linked with prayer is that from a biblical uh, perspective, when you're reading in the Bible and you're reading about fasting, rarely, if ever, in the Bible do you find fasting being, in, being an end in itself. It always has a, a higher purpose. As, as John Stott has stated it, put it very well, he said, you need to understand that the fasting you read about in the Bible is a negative action, the abstaining uh, from food and other distractions, for the sake of a positive action, which is worshiping God and praying. In other words, fasting that we read about in the Bible is for the encouragement of, the support of, the enhancement of prayer and worship. You say, well, how so? How does it help in that way? Well, you know, some folks think that, that the, the uh, fasting part is because it's a way of, of uh, somehow getting God's attention, or more often the thought is that if I fast, well, then God will, will see my goodness and look with goodwill toward me because I'm, of what I'm doing. The basic idea is that oftentimes is that, well, my, by my fasting, I will earn God's favor so that he will be inclined to listen to me and, uh, and answer me. But that's not the, the, uh, the way fasting goes in Scripture. Remember, our whole relationship with God is not built on our works. It's not built on our goodness that we earn enough, we do enough to make ourselves acceptable to God or win him over. It's that God loves us even though we're unworthy. That God cares for us. He reaches out for us even when we deserve nothing. It's all based on his love, his grace, his mercy. And so it goes with every aspect of our life, not just our, our forgiveness of sin, that we don't build a relationship with God or, or have communication with God based on, hey, God, I'm here to, to show you what I've, I've earned or to buy something from you. 
Bingham Hunter in his book, The God Who Hears, is a great book on, on prayer, kind of taking a different angle on it, says this, giving up food as a religious exercise produces neither piety points nor hunger strike pressure, which inclines God to answer prayer. So we don't fast and pray. We don't fast uh, so that so that somehow I'm earning my spiritual points and God will like me better. We don't fast and pray uh, in order to put some pressure on God. God, I, I, I just won't eat again until you give this to me. You know, as if God's going to go, oh, please don't. You know, it's, it's not like that at all. It's not a, fasting and prayer is not a, manip, a means for manipulating God to respond to us. It's not a way to buy God's goodwill or to make us irresistible to him. It's just not going to happen. So, so what then is fasting all about? Well, to, to fully understand it, you have to look at it from a couple of different angles as, as Scripture presents it. And the first thing you want to understand is that fasting is just a basic sign of humility. It's a sign of humility before God that we give to God, which is why sometimes you read of, 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 uh, of fasting happening and people at the same time they fast, you're reading Scripture, it says they put on sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes are ugh, pretty... You know, unpleasant stuff to have on your body. But people would do that in that day, that culture, that was a, a sign of really being humble before God, oftentimes a sign of, of sorrow and mourning as well. But, but that would be that thought of I'm humbling myself before God. I'm not standing up saying, hey, God, look how great I am. But God, look at the great need I have. And in First uh, Kings, in the Old Testament, you read about uh, King Ahab. And King Ahab was just a wicked king, a uh, really wicked king. But he had his ups and downs. He, he would soar up to God and then he would fall down again to Satan. You know, he was just like back and forth between what he was going to be in life. And generally, though, a, a wicked king. And there's a point comes in time where God says to, uh, to Ahab, um, Ahab, enough is enough. Judgment is coming on you. And it's coming soon. And Ahab gets his word of God and he's terrified by it. The judgment is going to fall on him. And uh, he actually uh, uh, responds then back to God. And it says it came about, uh, this is 1 Kings 21, 27. It came about when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. That's Elijah the prophet saying, this is God speaking to Elijah. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. Ahab eventually would suffer the natural consequences of many of his sins. His household, his family, would suffer the consequences of his many sins. But God brought a, a withholding, a pardon of judgment at that time because Ahab had humbled himself. And this, one of the signs of his humility before God was his fasting before God as he called out to God uh, for mercy. When we fast and pray, we're, we're making some statements, acknowledging some things uh, before God. We're, we're making the statement, first of all, that God, you are God and I'm not. You're the mighty one and I'm not that. We're telling God that. We're also expressing our, our penitent spirit. We're saying to God, and I'm a sinner, Lord, and, I, and I'm completely dependent on your mercy for forgiveness, first of all, for any kind of a relationship with you, but also, God, I'm expressing that, that I'm dependent upon your mercy because you owe me nothing. But, God, I'm relying on your mercy and grace. And at the same time we're doing that, we're acknowledging our reliance on God for everything. 
we're, we're, we're taking the position as, as Scripture has taught us, Old Testament and New Testament. You read these words, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Old Testament, New Testament verse. You always want to pay good attention to those verses. Old Testament, New Testament verses. We see it repeated. It must be important. And the important idea there is, of course, you know, life is, is more than just the stuff you have. It's more than your physical body. It's more than your physical life. It's more than your material possessions. It's more than your jobs. It's more than your careers. It's more than the, the power you achieve. The, the real life comes from your spiritual relationship with God. And so when we're, when we're uh, making that, that fast before God, we're saying to God, God, I recognize that. There's much more to life than just stuff and just the physical realm that I live in. There's a humbling before God. See, in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, here's another one of those verses you find in both places. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when we come in fasting, what we're really doing is we're, we're coming in and saying, God, I'm humble before you. And it's not like that's the only time we do it. You know, that humility is supposed to be part of our whole life. But as we come in a time of fasting, we're, we're giving God the sign. This is what my life is built around, God. And this is my approach to you at this time, that I'm humble before you. When we fast, what we're saying to God is not, hey, God, look at me. Look how spiritual I am that I'm fasting. Look how good I am that I do things like fast when I pray to you. We're not saying that. Instead, what we're saying to God is, God, I'm just looking to you. I'm just looking to you because it's really all about you. So fasting is a sign of humility. Second of all, though, it's a, it's a mark of, of spiritual seriousness about important matters in our life. When we, when we read the examples of fasting in Scripture, we see that, that mark of spiritual seriousness about important matters. That as we're fasting and praying to God, we're saying to God, God, I am so concerned about this this matter, this issue, this problem, this whatever it is. And I'm so concerned about that, and I'm so concerned about your involvement in it, that I'm actually setting aside the, the normal routine of my life, and I'm setting aside the demands of, of my life in order to seek you and concentrate on you and listen to you. I'm hitting the pause button to, to come to you with my seriousness about this issue. I want to know your ways uh, for this situation. I want to know your ways for me in it. I want to walk with you in this. And, and I want to receive from you the best that you have for me to receive. Fasting and prayer is that approach. We're saying, God, this is how serious I am about these concerns. I want your participation. And then related to that, we know that, that fasting and prayer, very practically, it helps us to center ourselves on God to center ourselves on God. Because for one thing, it gives us opportunity to pull back for a time from the enjoyment of the physical and the material blessings we have and to actually focus instead on the source of those blessings, God. And the scripture does say that God gives us all good things to enjoy. So he loves us to enjoy them. But our problem, uh, problem as humans is that we always love the stuff he gives us and we love it so much that we forget him. The stuff he's given us to enjoy, that becomes first place in our life. We forget to even say thanks for it. We don't acknowledge him. We're just, hey, I love this. 
Now, Thanksgiving Day, right? In America, Thanksgiving Day. Uh, that's the day we usually are, are just sitting back and saying what? I mean, honestly, most of America on Thanksgiving Day does what? It goes, yeah, I love all this stuff. I love these huge meals. I, I love football. I, I love all these family times. I love Thanksgiving Day. But we have to almost force ourselves beyond that to say, oh, yeah, thank you, God, for giving it to us. It's one of the reasons why we have an annual Thanksgiving morning service here. It's about a 45-minute service. We always say, you know, that helps us put the Thanksgiving back in Thanksgiving. Well, you know, it's, that's one day a year for us, and maybe we do it well and maybe we don't, but, but, but fasting is that, that opportunity for us to pull back from a time and say, you know what, God, I'm pulling back from the good stuff I enjoy in order to actually focus on you instead to give you credit, God, and to honor you. It typically also provides us some extra time to seek God. Because think about it. Even if you just say, well, I'm going to cut out a few meals today for the purpose of fasting. Well, if you were serious about that and you did it in the right way, you would automatically be buying you some time and energy that you could be put into to reading the scriptures, praying to God, rather than simply going out to lunch with your buddies again to Taco Bell or whatever, right? So that, that allows us to focus from that angle. It often helps us to think more clearly, too, especially the idea of fasting from food. Some people think that actually is a, is a physiological thing because, because when you fast, you know, you're, a lot of the energy and the blood in your body is not being consumed for, for digestive purposes as much as it's you know, finally going to clear your brain up a little bit. But whether that's actually true or not, we know that that, you know, our, our frequent indulgence, being in the land we, in which we live, and our sometimes overindulgence, kind of makes us dull, doesn't it? I mean, the, the food we eat and the amounts we eat and the, the, uh, even the, the way we enjoy our, our fun activities, sometimes we do it to, to such excess that we're kind of dull then. We're, we're tired, we're, we're fatigued, we're not sharp for doing something like focusing on God in prayer. And so fasting helps us in that way. It helps us to center on God a little better helps us to concentrate on him a little more intensely. So that's a a reason, that's why uh, fasting is there. Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, uh, writes that spiritual discipline, like fasting or prayer, lots of other spiritual disciplines. He says a discipline uh, discipline for the spiritual life, he says, is when the dust of history is blown away, nothing but an activity undertaken to bring us, listen to this, to bring us into more effective cooperation with Christ and his kingdom. He goes on to say that such disciplines make us capable of receiving more of Christ's life and power without harm to ourselves or others. Our personal spiritual disciplines are, you know, one of which you're participating in right now, coming to a worship service. Those, those have the value of, uh, uh, of bringing us more into cooperation with God, of, of that pause where we stop and we, we're focused, we're cooperating with God to to know his will, to, to, uh, to serve him in some way. Fasting and prayer as a, as a spiritual discipline, discipline is of great value in that sense, that, uh, that it really ties us in to receiving more of the life of Christ, more of his power in our lives. And so that's the value. That's why we would want to do it. But the question that comes up, you know, when we run across a passage like in Ezra 8 where they fasted and prayed is, well, okay, So how often are we supposed to do that? 
How often are we supposed to do it and, and how much are we to do it according to God's word? And you know what the answer is that if you look in the Bible, we're not supposed to do it at all. It's not ordered uh, for us to do. There's no commandment of God. God's word doesn't tell us when or how often to take it up. It doesn't say you must do this. The only command in the Bible about when and how often to fast is in the Old Testament law. And it's in the Old Testament law for the people of Israel. And God instructed them for one day of year, the, the day called the Day of Atonement, when they would come for, for worship at the temple, that one day each year that was the special Day of Atonement, they were to come and to humble themselves before God. And in the wording of, of Scripture in the, uh, in the Old Testament law, the, the words for humbling oneself included that idea of fasting. And we know that among the Hebrews that they fasted on that day, the Day of Atonement, once a year. But, you know, even that doesn't apply now since Christ came to earth because Christ fulfilled the law and he made a, his, a, his atonement for, for our sin once and for all. And so we no longer live under those laws of the holy days and the feasts and the ceremonies that the Hebrews had at that time. And so, so there is no law, there's no rule that says, well, this day a year or this many times or once a week or whatever. You say, well, okay, but what did Jesus say about it? It's always good to check with Jesus, right? In the Bible, you want to know, what did Jesus say about that, though? Well, when we, uh, when we look to the scripture, we see that Jesus himself gave no instruction or indication about how much or how often or, or when we should fast and pray. Now, he does mention it, and in two passages in the New Testament, Matthew 16, uh, or 6, 16 to 18, and Luke 5, 33 to 35, he clearly assumes that many of his followers will practice fasting and prayer after he leaves them, after he leaves physically from planet Earth. He makes that assumption that fasting will happen among his followers. And he implies that it's a, a very high value. We know that, that John the Baptist, that his disciples fasted. We read in the Gospels that, that Anna, who served at the temple, she fasted frequently. And, and so it's there for us in the New Testament. And, uh, but Jesus doesn't say, well, this is, this is what you must do in it. But by his, his uh, words about it, that he assumes we will do it, that, and by how he, he talked about it, you can tell that he, he thought it was a valuable thing for us. And so that tells us, well, from Jesus' perspective, we shouldn't ignore it in our lives. But what the Bible tells us overall about fasting and prayer is, is this. It teaches us that it's, it's not so much a duty to be performed as it is a, a benefit of our life with God to be taken up whenever we desire it. Now, make sure you catch that. First of all, it's, it's, a, it's not a duty to be performed. It's not like you have to sit back and go, okay, to be a good Christian, I've got to do this this many times. No, it's not like that. On the other side, though, it, it is a benefit. In other words, it's given as, hey, this is a blessing. This is a blessing. It's an opportunity you can use in your relationship with God, and you can use it whenever you desire and you know, the scripture says you can particularly use it in time of need. In fact, when we read in scripture and you find the, uh, the, uh, uh, the various examples of fasting, you'll see that by far, by far what you're seeing is the examples of fasting are when, when a need is present in a person's life. And they're taking that need to God. We saw that in Ezra 8, right? Where Ezra and company faced that difficult and dangerous journey. So they, they paused to fast and to pray. 
before they set out. So that would tell us, well, when would be a good time for us to fast and pray? Well, is there danger in your life? Is there impending danger or present danger? That might be a good time to fast. Uh, do you have an overwhelming task? There's a problem that you can't, you can't overcome on your own. That might be an appropriate time to take up a fast with prayer. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we read of, uh, of uh, a time when Judah, when the nation of Israel was split in half by civil war in the southern half, the, the nation of Judah was about to be invaded by the armies of, of three other nations. That King Jehoshaphat at that time called the people to, to pause for fasting and prayer. You know, they were ready to, to prep up for war. It looked like an, an unwinnable war, but they were in the middle of their preparations and Jehoshaphat said, now's the time. Pause button here. Time to fast and pray. Time to fast and pray. And God stepped in and answered prayer. He gave them victory in response to, to their fasting and praying. You, do you need an enemy stopped? <laughs> do you need an unexpected victory that looks impossible to have? Well, that might be a good time then to fast and pray. In the book of Esther, we read uh, that when a high-ranking government official formed a, a plot to annihilate all the Jews within the, the Persian Empire, that the Jews began to, to fast and pray for, for deliverance from that plot. God responded to their, their fasting and their prayer. And when at that time, Queen Esther was called upon to be exceptionally brave and to act in a very daring way to foil that plot, that she fasted and prayed and called others to fast and pray with her so that she might be able to do her part. She had to do something she had never done before. And when she did it, it would have to be done just right. She would have to do it with wisdom and discernment and skill. She would have to step up and, and you know, do it without being so scared that, that she was shaking. She would have to say just the right thing at the right time. And she fasted and she prayed. And God responded to her, her fasting and prayer. And so you might say, well, when I'm in that kind of situation where I have to step up in that way, that might be a time I, I want to pause for fasting and prayer. The book of Nehemiah, we're told that, that uh, in chapter 1, that Nehemiah, serving also in the government of Persia in his day, he received news from Jerusalem and he heard about, he got a news report, this is what's going on in Jerusalem and it was all bad news. The city is defenseless, they haven't even been able to build the walls up, the people in many respects are far from God, they're struggling to make ends meet, it was all bad news. And Nehemiah there, concerned for, for his people there in Jerusalem, is, is just devastated. He's frustrated because he wishes he could do something about it. But he can't. He's too far away. He doesn't have any means to do anything. He's, he's brokenhearted, but he's got this burden. God, I, I just want to do something, but he doesn't know how. So what does he do? He fasts and he prays. God begins to give him an idea. He fasts and prays about his idea. God begins to answer his prayers. So if you're ever in that situation where you're saying, oh, there's a, there's a situation, it's just it's heartbreaking to me, it frustrates me, and there's just nothing I can do, that might be a time to fast and to pray. The book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12, we read that when King David's newborn son was, was extremely ill and, and about to die, that he fasted and he prayed for healing. 
So when you're in a situation where you have a physical problem, that might be a time for fasting and prayer. Daniel chapter 9, we read that Daniel fasted and prayed at a key moment in history. Uh, He was involved in government himself. He also was a a prophet of God, and he read the other prophets of God. And when he he read the prophets of God, he realized that that at a certain point in time, they'd they'd come to a place where where it was a turning point in history. It would be a turning point in the history of his nation, and a turning point in the history of the, of the government he, had, he was serving at the time, a turning point for the world even. And he, he wasn't sure exactly what to do about it, but, but he knew that, that this was a key moment. And so it says he fasted and he prayed, and then that God began to respond and direct Daniel as to what his part would be and to work beyond what Daniel could even do in himself. 1 Kings 21, we already read about how wicked King Ahab, when facing this fearsome judgment by God for his sin, fasted and prayed for mercy. So if you're ever in that place where you realize, I have blown it so badly. Uh, You know, I've got the, the judgment of God on me. I've got the natural consequences of my sin to deal with. I need mercy. That might be a good time for fasting and prayer. Acts chapter 13, we're told that Paul and Barnabas uh, were uh, along with the, the church at, at uh, Antioch. They needed confirmation and clarity about, the, uh, about their call to be missionaries. God had begun to call them out from this one church to be the first international missionaries to ever go abroad. And so uh, they had this sense of call, but, but both Paul and Barnabas and the church had a, a, a sense that they needed confirmation of how God was guiding and directing them. What exactly was he leading them to? What should the church's response be to that in sending them out? And it says that, that uh, Paul and Barnabas and the leaders fasted and prayed. And it's implied there as well in verse 3 of chapter 13 that not only the, the leaders and, uh, prayed with Paul and Barnabas, but the whole church got involved with fasting and praying so that they would discern God's will. They would have God's confirmation. So that would tell us, right, if you're in a place where you need guidance in your life, you need confirmation, God, what are you telling me? How are you directing me? That might be a good time for fasting and prayer. One more in the, uh, in the book of, of Acts, Acts chapter 14, where we read of Paul and Barnabas after they had gone out as missionaries and planted churches in, in cities. And there was, there was a, 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 a place where there were three cities together that they had planted churches, but they couldn't stay there and just, just shepherd and pastor those churches. They had other ministry to do. And it says that, that they gathered with, with uh, the leaders there and they, they appointed new leaders for the church. These were brand new churches with brand new Christians. But they, they, with the guidance of God, they selected leaders, elders, to lead those churches. And it says then, realizing that they were leaving them alone, that they were having to sort of push them out of the nest, so to speak, and say, okay, you, you need to start functioning now, that they prayed and fasted about the start of these churches and about their continuing and being healthy. And so if you're in a situation where, you know, you have to turn something loose or maybe you're starting something new and and you wonder, is it going to make it or not? Maybe it needs protection. That might be a good time for fasting and prayer, whether it's a a church or a, or a, a, a task or a person. These are just some of the examples from the Bible of fasting and prayer and all sorts of situations for all kinds of needs. We see in the Bible, God's people fasted and prayed. And in each situation, we see God responding. 
In each situation, God responds. Now, does God always give exactly what the people ask for? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but God always responds. The case of King David, for instance, when he prayed for his infant son who was dying, and, uh, and as he prayed, uh, you know, he was really in distress, and his prayer, he took this all to God. Well, there came a point where, where the son actually died. Interestingly, though, see, there, God doesn't answer that prayer as David wanted it. But we're also told this, that David amazingly makes a, a spiritual recovery from this. In his instance, some of this was his own fault. And so he had repentance to do on his part. But, but David was so distraught over all of this that for a time, those who served him thought, David's never going to recover from this. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, he's never going to recover. But one of the benefits, the scripture says there, of his time of fasting and prayer is that God, through all this, gave him peace and strength to rise again. Assurance that he would see his son again someday in God's kingdom. And David was able to recover even from that. So we see that even if God doesn't answer our prayers in exactly the way we desire, he still comes along when we're fasting and praying to meet what our needs are according to his will. And so we should consider the idea of fasting and praying, which has led to that question, okay, well, what are the rules then? Okay, I know I, you know, I don't have to do it. I know there's no certain times I should do it. But what are the rules? Or, what, you know, where's the instruction manual about, okay, step one, when fasting, stop eating. You know, where, where do you read those, those rules about how to do it? Well, pretty interestingly and significantly, the Bible doesn't reveal any rules of that sort. There's some basic uh, um, understandings from both the Old Testament and the New Testament about, about general rules of fasting, but that they go along these, these lines. Um, when you're fasting, do it sincerely. Don't do it hypocritically. Do it as one whose life is submitted to God. Uh, do it genuinely from your heart. Don't do it mechanically and ritualistically just because, you know, I always fast on this day of the week. No, have your heart in it if you're really going to do it. Do it for God's glory, not your own glory. Do it for God to see Jesus taught. Don't do it for other people to look at you and go, oh, what a great person. Look, they fast. No, do it for God's glory, not yours. In almost every situation, we see the, the implication of Scripture is this too, that, that a rule is have some reason why you're actually fasting. Have something in mind that you're, you're going to God for. As you do that, don't make it just an end in itself. Those are the general rules. What about the how-tos, the details? They're left open to us. There are none. We have only examples of various ways in which fasting and prayer can be carried out. So, for example, you can do it individually, just by yourself, or you could do it in conjunction with a whole bunch of other people. Small group, large group, you could decide to do it and just do it whenever you want. You could do it wholly or you could do it partially. That is, you could abstain from food altogether or you could abstain from just certain kinds of foods for a time. You can do it uh, uh, for a variety of lengths of time. If you just look at the examples of Scripture, well, you can look at Moses, Elijah, Jesus. We're told that they, at least once, each fasted as long as 40 days. David once fasted for seven days. Esther, when she had her great uh, challenge, she fasted for three days, along with with, uh, some of her servants and workers. 
But, you know, many of the fasts that we read of in Scripture are typically one-day fasts. Fast, uh, in fact, a lot of them you read of in the Old Testament, from sunrise to sunset was the time of fasting. So that tells us that it's up to us. We can choose the length of time. There's no rule. It's interesting that the Bible indicates, if, if, if you can get your arms around this a little bit, that fasting, which of course, of course refers to abstaining um, uh, refers to abstaining from food may not be the only way to quote unquote fast that you can abstain from other things for the same purposes that abstaining from food would be first corinthians chapter 7 verse 5 uh, the apostle paul writes about married couples for a brief period of time setting aside sexual relations for the purpose of being able to concentrate in prayer on god and that tells us that you know in place of food Or in addition to food, we might consider many other ways that we might fast, so to speak. We might fast from watching TV in order to come to God and focus on Him and pray. We might decide, I'm turning off all of of my music for the day, in the car, in my home. Uh, I know I'm going to get personal here, but maybe for for a day here, I'd turn off my iPod. I, I put my iPod in the drawer, my iPhone I'll shut down my computer all day so that I'm not distracted and I'm more focused. I might say I'm, I'm going to forego my recreation time. I typically, you know, go running for fun, I stress, for fun, just to, for exercise and to get out, you know, five or six days a week. I might say, you know, that's time instead this week. I'll devote to a spiritual exercise rather than the physical pulling away from friends or associates for a time. Not in anger, but just to get that time. We don't know how often Jesus fasted, if he did at all, but but you know, you read about him so very often saying, I'm not only pulling away from my ministry uh, of the people coming to me, but I'm pulling away from my disciples. How many times do you read in the gospel where it says, and Jesus told the disciples, you guys go ahead. I'll be there in a few minutes. I'll be there tomorrow. And then what does he do? He pulls away to a quiet place to pray. And he's totally alone. That's a type of fasting. All for the same purpose of humbling ourselves before God, demonstrating to God our seriousness about a matter, centering ourselves on God. That's what it's all about. And so here's my encouragement and my call today. For, for you as a, as a congregation, I'm starting at the individual level, to just uh, say this, on a personal level, how are you doing with hitting the pause button when it comes to spiritual matters such as this? And is this pause button in your life, it, do you hit this pause that refreshes and that God blesses this pause of, of fasting and prayer? Is it built into your life right now? One of the best things you could do is to build in a a permanent pause for this in your life. Now, for you, that may be nothing more than than just a few minutes worth. My wife and I pray every morning, typically before we even get out of bed. And it's often just a short prayer together, but we've built that in. We've said that's a moment that's dedicated to God. Could you build that moment into your life in some way? Going beyond that, could you set aside some specific moments for the needs that you have, the concerns you have on your heart, where you would say, okay, you know what? I'm going to make the plan. Tomorrow is going to be a day of fasting and prayer in regard to God. Maybe your choice is, I'm going to skip one meal today. I'm going to use my lunch time, just one meal, but at least I'm going to go off into the park 
And that, that time is devoted to God. Or, or maybe you're saying, I, I need a whole day. I need to actually get out of the office. And I also need to get out of my house and go somewhere and just focus on God and leave all the electronics behind and turn the car radio off so that I'm focused on God and praying for this. I'm talking to God. I'm listening to God. I'm considering Scripture. I'm thinking through. You know, because how often do we go through life and we just go, oh, man, I really need to pray about that. Really need to pray about that. And then instead of stopping and praying, we just kind of keep blasting through all the barriers, right? Because that's what we as Americans do. You know, we just, we just keep going. Oh, God, I need another two hours of work. I'm working that two hours. I need to just muscle through this task. We're going to muscle through it. And, uh, and then we keep saying to ourselves, I've got to get around to praying for that. You know, ah, oh, so in my mind. How are we going to resolve this problem? What if we did that differently? So my call and encouragement to you is to say, how about building this into your life? as the spiritual pause that refreshes. That's going to require you to actually set aside some time to do that. My wife and I, we were gone over spring break uh, because we were down in in California. And we went there with with a full schedule of things to accomplish. It was nice to be out of town, have a change of scenery. It was not a relaxing vacation. We had to do family business with both my side of the family, her side of the family, my parents, her parents, and our kids, our college kids. And so we had a schedule that was packed, you know, time after time after time. We're just going from one thing to the next. You know, get a little sleep, pick up, start going again. Next place. And we were leaving my parents' apartment one afternoon, and we're just like, you realize we're just like the beach is just over there. (laughs) You know, and it was Laguna Beach, you know, a beautiful beach where my wife's grandmother lived for a while. My wife spent a lot of time there as a child. It's like, are we really going to be here? And it's a sunny day, you know, and it's warm. Are we really going to be in California all this time? And we're not going to take that time. We just, you know, we started calculating. Okay, it takes this much time to drive the freeway back from here to there. And then we got this appointment here. And it's like, you know what? It's like an hour and about 20 minutes. Let's go for it. You know, and so we went over there. It was like from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. We were on the beach. And then, you know, away we went again, going up PCH, Pacific Coast Highway, as fast as we could to get, get back to where we needed to be. But just that pause, that refresh. You know, why don't we build that in in a spiritual sense? That's the challenge. Would you take it? Now, here's the, the corporate challenge. As a church, you know, we need to step up in this area. And I mean we need to step up, not even in the sense of like, well, I need to wait for, you know, my group leader, my pastor and elder or whatever to tell me to do this. But we need to say, you know, corporately, we see the value of, of God answering corporate prayer, corporate meaning the, the whole body of Christ, the whole church together, for, for the needs of the whole body, the church and the ministry. We need to, to be willing to say, let's do that. And we, we step up to make that happen by setting aside time and joining with others in doing so. And so my challenge is, uh, as I call out to you, is say, hey, the month of April is a month we've been looking toward now. Um, you know, as staff and elders and looking toward and saying, okay, this is a key time. We've got a new pastor coming on staff. That's something that certainly, you know, can use some prayer as he's getting started. We realize, uh, you know, Easter is this month. And we, we really try to do our best at outreach during the Easter season. What if we prayed about that? for the Easter services, for the invitations that you're going to give, that others are going to give? What if we prayed about that? 
What if we prayed, you know, we're, we're just about to launch into this renovation of our, of our church facilities. It'll probably take us a decade or more, you know, to actually get it all done. But we've got to start in one place with one building. And we're about to do that. But that's a big undertaking. What if we actually prayed about that together? How God would guide us and lead us in terms of, of how much we give to it, but also how, how the construction will be done, what the work will be. What if we turned that over to God this month? What if we, if we looked out and said, you know what? We live in a, a largely non-Christian community. What if we prayed for this community to come to know Jesus in a better way? And so that's my call and encouragement to you to step up with us this month and say, you know what? I will, I will if nothing else, from now till Easter, but maybe even till the end of the month, to, that I will in some way fast and pray for these needs. And you can decide it any way you want what it's going to be. One day a week, 15 minutes a day, whatever it is. But would you make that commitment? If you want to let us know, we'd be encouraged by it. You know, send us an email, jot it on a connection card, hand it in, whatever. Say, this is what I'm doing. We'll pray for you that you're able to stay consistent in doing it. But let's do this. Let's do this together. Let's stand and pray right now. Heavenly Father, we're so glad that our relationship with you doesn't come down to just mere rituals and the mechanics of doing this or that. Lord, the freedom you give us in knowing you personally, of having our sins forgiven and having that open and free relationship based on your love and your grace, that's amazing, Lord. That we're not burdened by wondering about that relationship, by thinking that maybe we're not acceptable. You've already accepted us through our faith in Jesus. Lord, what a privilege then that, that you give us these spiritual disciplines, including including, Father, fasting and prayer that we can choose to take up whenever we want. Thank you, Father, for showing us that that's something that that you value, that you feel honored when we do it, that you're responsive toward it. Lord, thank you that it's, it's something that we can do not just alone, but we can do together. Gosh, Lord, we're just amazed, Father, at just how you answer prayer. And surprise us so often by doing more than, than we have even prayed for. And so, Lord, we're, we're excited to, to step back to make sure we got the basics on this today. But also, Lord, to be, to be thinking very clearly about how we might incorporate this in our lives. Lord, as we, as we go through the evaluation process, help us to choose wisely uh, how we will bring this in. And Lord, let us not feel defeated if, if we fail in our first attempts. Lord, remind us, I pray, that, that it's not about doing it just the right way. It's about just taking that time with you. And uh, Father, help us as even we consider some new things, like maybe fasting from food for a period of time. We want to, uh, Lord, do this because it's a blessing and a benefit. We look forward to what you might bring out of it. And we praise you for being such a wonderful God. A wonderful God who will listen to us. We thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen.